I just want to welcome everyone to this week of Behind the Daw. My name is Wyatt Troy and I interview music producers and music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level to get inside their heads, gather the best information, and then bring it back to you. And by the way, this is a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite artists to dissect their songs in real time. If you're interested in that, there's a link in the description. If you want to see any artists come on the show, or if you have any feedback, you can contact me at wyatt at behindthedaw.net. And really quick, before we get into this week's episode, here's a word from our sponsors. This episode of Behind the Daw is sponsored by Best Service and their new product, Celtic Era. They want to welcome you to a magical journey with this new pack. You can go through the times of druids and highland heroes. There's a collection of sounds and instruments where you can create your own melodies with 23 fully playable Celtic instruments and three instruments from the Bronze and Iron Ages that have never been sampled before. They're deeply sampled with true legato and numerous articulations. You can use plucked and bowed strings, wind instruments, keyed instruments, percussion. There's even percussion MIDI loops, strum guitar and Bazowski with ultra realistic MIDI patterns. There's soundscapes and so much more. The Celtic Era Library is a type of library that could really fit your productions. Go ahead and check out the link below to their website. I want to welcome everyone to this week of Behind the Daw. We have Nick Kylar, who also goes by Varian. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Can't complain. Yeah, dude. Your your room is delightfully blue. Is there a reason why it's delightfully blue? Yeah, so I've got this sort of like cyberpunk sort of lighting scheme going on. Therefore, when the sun st- starts to set, you've got the, the purple blue light, but it's like nicely dim, so it's not offensive, but it still gives you that aesthetic of creativity. And I don't know, man, I, I dig it. And it's still daytime, but I went ahead and flipped it on since like four o'clock. It's kind of like a, a ritual. I've always had trouble with offensive colors. You know what I mean? Like what's the most offensive color? Orange. I love Halloween, but I hate orange. I mean, I'm like a huge fan of Halloween, but I just, I'll I'll allow that. I'm colorblind to greens, so they offend me in the the sense that greens look like gold. And it annoys me because when people are like, look at this beautiful nature, it's like, I can recognize that it's really beautiful, but I can also recognize that I'm not seeing its true nature. It's more of like the subtle, like, leaf grass type stuff it's not as cool as it sounds where when everything is gold it's more like oh man come on man step outside right after the rain come on man that's not how it's supposed to look. before we really get into it i just want to remind everyone about the behind the daw patreon it is the the lifeblood of this that fuels it that allows me to interview everyone on the channel and to keep going and to feed my kids and it's really really fun so if you want to be a part of the channel you want to donate to that woo Go for it, guys. Get on to it. All right, man. To get you warmed up, I got some I got some deep questions. I'm going to have to request that you laugh at none of them. First question for you. How would you ever know if an animal is a time traveler? Like, literally, how, how do you not know that every single animal you've ever come across is actually from the future? If biological evolution is anything to go by, I assume that if we saw a new species that... Like, for instance, if you saw, like, a 60-foot crocodile, you could probably probably assume that global warming had warmed the planet up back
back to where it was around like the dinosaur era. So reptilian creatures would be larger. That would be like an indication that the, in the future, there's going to be another ice age. You can sort of extrapolate stuff like that. That's kind of all I've, all I've got is new, speci new species arrive and there's no explanation for them except there are weather conditions or topography in the future that does not exist now. You know what a megalodon is? Yeah. Like out of anything that creeps me out. Megalodon. You get creeped out easy, man? Dude, anything to do with the ocean? Oh, I understand. Yeah, like if I'm like if I'm in the ocean, a little fish swims up and like, you know, like gently, gently like little tap, little little tippy tappy on my foot. I'm done. So, so, so no scuba diving licenses <laughs> in your future. I live in the desert for a reason. I'd rather deal with rattlesnakes than anything in the ocean. Gotcha. <laughs> Makes no sense. I deal with both living in Florida. You get the worst of both worlds, but it's so beautiful out there. So that's okay. You just stay inside and make music and you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> is there technically, is this true? This has to be true. Well, I don't know if it has to be true. Is there more ears than humans on earth? More ears than humans. Well, let me let me rephrase that. Is there more human ears than humans on earth? Um, assuming uh, like malformations, uh, I mean, I guess anything's possible. Like, so I would say probably, but then you have to account for all the people who were born the other way, cell mutation wise, where they were born with one ear or with sort of like an underdeveloped ear, and then does that count as an ear? Sorry to get deconstructionist on you. You're the one asking this question. Is the entire, like, if you think about, like, lollipops and, like, things of that nature, candy of that nature, like Jolly Ranchers and stuff like that, is their entire business model, like, their entire goal in their business, is it just to flavor your spit like is that really it is that is that what it comes down to are you talking about just like the sugar industry wow so it's not just lolly but like it's everything that's that's what like gummy worms like flavor your spit too and so does chocolate chocolate's one of the hardest things to get out of your tongue palate so i would say that the end game actually of the sugar industry is to get you addicted and they do it by flavoring your spit uh well by flavoring your essentially leaving it in your system if you feel the only way to quench your thirst or to alleviate that specific taste in your mouth is to eat more sugar or drink more sugar when really a lot of sugar dependency comes from lack of water and not enough animal protein you're one smart dude you you gotta you got a lot of smarts up in that noggin let's dive into the real questions really i've always been really intrigued about your branding and about not not necessarily the business side but actually the the actual like aesthetic of it darker ish you know so some of the anime stuff incorporated that so tell me like what, what what's going on with all that because i love it man it's so good sure i have always grown up to appreciate a darker aesthetic i grew up on like cyberpunk films and i grew up watching and falling in love with like the y2k era stuff so uh you know fight club and the matrix of course everyone knows my obsession with mm -hmm. that a lot of video games around that time had a really like they all had this sort of grit to it and that sort of just stuck with me and as i grew older it seemed to be a sort of a natural inclination to do darker stuff which lends itself to then being more cinematic buying a lot of different influences i try to stay away from like the, the creepy dark just because it's not my vibe more like a cult themed ancient knowledge yeah. sort of stuff kind of 
refining earlier years of Varian where I was exploring a lot of high fantasy stuff. It's like when you whittle that down, how can you still keep the cinematic element and the dark element without sacrificing that level of musicality? And so that's kind of like the road that I've been on in 2018 is to just keep refining, getting the brand exactly where I want it to be. And then just doing fun stuff like really androgynous photo shoots and stuff like that. Growing up on things like Final Fantasy and like Japanese Visual K, androgyny was like a non sequitur for me. It was kind of like, yeah, guys can do that and it's totally cool. Over here, a lot of people do question my sexuality, but I don't at all. So it allows me to do pretty much anything. It's a fun thing for me to do. It's another way to express personally. I'm a huge fan of the body. The human body is awesome. So if there are ways that I can use that even as a aesthetic medium, then I will. And I do. So from many of the people that I've that I've interviewed and talked to, there seems to be, you know, people that really take their aesthetic very seriously. They take their branding very seriously. Their, their artwork has to be a very certain way. It usually falls into one of two categories. The first category is that they are telling a story. And then the second category is that they're not necessarily telling a consistent story, but they like to put artwork or they like to put things to the music that they create. And so where, where do you feel like you fall on that? I used to be a storyteller, like very, very much so. I mean, if you look at the, the Valkyrie trilogy and a lot of lyrics from songs like Whispers in the Mist and a lot of ideas in my first album, The Ancient and the Arcane, there's a lot of storytelling. And I th right now in my life, I'm more looking for bringing people into atmospheres and bringing people into songs not to tell them a story, but to bring them to a place and have them extrapolate something out of it themselves. That's so beautiful. So bring them and to create an atmosphere so they create their stories. But you're you're the secret ingredient to allow the story to flourish. Your, your music, so to say. That's one way of putting it for sure. And um, I most recently had a release called Monarch Butterfly. And if you go to the YouTube comment section, there's a bunch of people sort of just like... I just feel this and I feel that. And some guy be like, I just have this mental image. I'm like the first 10 seconds hooked me in. And now I've got this like idea in my head. I'm like, well, then I'm, I did, I did a good job then. So it's like, it's just flipping the script. No, no pun intended there, but like, yeah. it's like flipping the script. Like, you know, instead of being like, this is a song and it's about a, this and this happens and the end. Now it's sort of like crafting a really dense aesthetic, giving it to someone and just walking away. The one thing that I really learned in my hiatus is to try and not to explain too much of your art. It's something like a magic trick, you know? And if you spend an eternity explaining your art, then it sort of just loses the individual's interpretation of it. Which I think music is for the people. And yes, it's for me too. I like my own music. That's why I make it is so that it's out there. It's like what I want to hear out there. So of course, matches up. But what I I make and what I release as the final product. It's up to you from there. I guess that's that's actually like the real magic of the music, right? Is the interpreters, at least at least for the person partaking of the music, is their personal interpretation of it. Has yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, growing up on metal, I have very vivid 
memories. Um, for the longest time, I used to hate lyrics and I used to hate like music with words in it. I've really, really treasured instrumentals. I grew up on like progressive rock and progressive metal where they would just go on for 17 minutes, no words. And I was like, yep, that's about right. Yep. Good, good for me. But um, I also side by side, no surprises anywhere. I grew up on video game soundtracks and there wasn't a lot of lyrics there because when in my formative years, people were still using sound chips, you know, we're talking SNES and 64 Dreamcast era, and then vocal ideas started to come into play off the top of my head, things like Jet Set Radio Future came into my head. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This is cool. The reason I'm bringing this up is because for the longest time, since I didn't care about lyrics, I was still able, though, to be immersed in that artist's music, mm -hmm. even though there wasn't anyone specifically telling me where to go with my mind. My mind would just go wherever their notes were going and wherever their harmonies were expanding. And it was always fun to kind of just like lay in bed. I miss those days of so just like laying in bed, no worries, just listening to really abstract music and just following it along a linear line and having images conjured up outside of me but within me at the same time and then i fell in love with pop now i just sort of have a sort of trade-off where sometimes i'm in a pop mood sometimes i'm in a mood to just chill has there ever been a time in your career when you when you were pressured or you, you you fell into the trap of of not being you oh yeah Ooh, oh yeah doing this professionally for the better part of a decade oh Oh yeah, man. Really? Oh yeah, I messed up big time a few times. And I think long-term fans can probably, if they sit, they can probably identify specific points of where I was onto something and then maybe something came along or there were some doubts, self-sabotage. There's been a lot of learning, man, but yeah. I think that the road that I'm building now is a lot more stable and a lot more tenable. You can attend to it, keep it going, as opposed to some of these uh, really intense ideas that I had at some point. And constantly switching brands trying to find out what exactly fit me there was a lot of pressure at one point even i can remember even up until a few years ago to sort of you know look at what everyone else is doing because hey this guy's making 50 grand at night yeah. doesn't that sound awesome yeah. well yeah but as i've grown older as I've been run through the gamut, as I've made a lot of relationships with people who I would identify as narcissistic leaning, psychopathic leaning, and learning to identify and then avoid them coming into myself like that at the beginning of the year. What am I about? What do I want to do? That's what this year has been about. That's why the music's been consistent. The art's been consistent. The memes have been consistent. <laughs> the androgyny has been consistent. I'm not apologizing or feeling like explaining any of it. I'm saying, hey guys, I'm excited about this new track. Hope you love it. Um, right now I'm working on an EP. I'm currently fighting with it because there's a little bit of that voice still of like, what are you going to do? It's going to be the next cool thing. And then there's the other part of me like, that's just make it and it's gonna be good a little bit of a fight there but yeah. that's just the artist's challenge do you think ultimately you'll come out on top saying you know what this is really what i do want to make and you end up releasing it and you'll win that fight with yourself i don't know what the future holds man but i do know that i can trust myself enough to know when something is ready to go when something is ready to be released and i mean as far as this ep goes there's even flirtations about making it into an album 
problem because I'm brimming with ideas, man, constantly. But in order to combine them all into a body of work, it actually does take a a, a bit of thought from me, a yeah. bit of logic from me. And I'm making this a little bit more pop structured, yeah. but still keeping the same dark, empty, industrial, minimalism, cinematic, whatever keywords you want to throw towards me keeping that with pop structures and getting good vocalists yeah. to sort of bring it into something wonderful and i have something that i'm something else that i uh, am working on that's really huge and hollywood related so that's also exciting cool. not only am i fighting with my ep i'm fighting with my schedule well, thank you for even taking the time to do this no it's fine if i was to ask one question during this interview and you're like that's it that's the question i wanted him to ask that's the one what would that question be a lot of people are really interested in my top collabs but that's kind of like you know run of the mill par yeah. for the course and producer question mm -hmm. just real quick my top three is Imogen Heap Bjork and Trent Reznor what question would I want you to ask yeah. me what I would just ask how am I let's dive into this all right like how is the actual state of Nick right now like what is what is going on inside you know what I mean how are you I would say overall I'm good let's just just get give a, a solid answer overall i'm good emotionally doing fine financially doing fine everything's don't really have much to complain about except that you know i'm wrangling with this body of work whatever it may be ep album whatever sort of discovering what's next and figuring out which risks are the ones worth taking because mm. there's a few opportunities presented to me that are risky that I don't know the future. And that's okay. I can't control the future. I can set up the present so that the future is a nice little surprise to walk into. But sometimes it's a straight shot in the dark. So right now I'm dealing with risk management, risk assessment, and ultimately, even on a personal scale, man, just figuring out what, what's next. I think most people, especially like our age and stuff like that, are always thinking like that, like yeah. what's next? Like ever since I was 15 and like kind of, kind of, you know, had that, that kind of self-realization of I, I don't know I don't know how to explain it. I just felt like up until I was like 15 I was just kind of like uh, I'm a human and I'm doing stuff that people are telling me to do and, and then finally it kind of like broke that mold and was like who am I and like that kind of like set me on the journey and from there it's always been like I've always kind of related it like I feel like I'm standing at the edge of this canyon and I know I have to jump into this canyon like I just have to jump into it and I'm scared but when I jump I'm fine and then it brings me to another canyon and then another canyon and then you know and it's just always on the edge of the canyon this is what I kind of feel like and sometimes when you jump into said canyon, sometimes you land or sometimes you float on your way down and you wonder why you were ever scared in the first place. And I try to channel the future like that into the present where I'm like, if I just do this thing in the future, I might look back and wonder why I was ever scared why I was ever doubtful and why I didn't just do it because look at me now. That's a real future. Absolutely. That's a, that's a, that is a very plausible future. That's happened many times in my life yeah. where I've been afraid of something come out the other end it's just fine so let's talk about like the most the hallmark experience of what you're talking about right now if you were to if you were to pick one experience from your life where it was like that it's like i am terrified to jump off said canyon but i'm gonna do it 
working on Furious 7. What? You worked on Furious 7? You can't just, like, not tell me that. Dude, trust me, I am everywhere, and a lot of people cannot keep up. And that's Whoa. something that I'm uh, very used to. Okay. It's, by the way, it's like, by the way, I wrote a K-pop number one hit. Oh, oh, and I'm also working with this guy. Oh, and I'm collabing with this guy, and as Varian, I'm doing this. By the way, I'm making a game. I'm the vice president <laughs> of it. And it's like, to most people, it's like, when do you sleep? It's like, actually, my schedule is so perfect. I never have to worry about any of this. It all just flows. So, by the way, congratulations to the K-pop number one i did know that is it called furious 7 or fast 7 furious 7 uh it was furious 7 furious 7 so in regards to that why why was that one of the moments where it was like oh man i gotta jump off this canyon but uh, you know you're you're talking with a veteran composer who's throwing you film you're working in a daw that you've never worked in before because this was before fl studio really allowed you to adjust the frames so i would write something like the first iteration i did of a, a scene like it didn't match with the film in the end. And I'm like, that's weird. It matches in my DAW. And it's because FL Studio at that time was hard locked to like 29.95. They were hard locked to 24.95. So it was off just by a hair. But music cues, you know, they are to the millisecond, man. Yeah. So then I had to learn Cubase and I felt like I was nailing it. And at the same time, I then I would get like a mountain of feedback back. And then I had to remind myself, oh yeah, the reason I'm getting a lot of feedback is because this is like a major franchise and they don't mess around. It was a huge learning experience. Um, Sam Trivecta was there for the whole thing. But these days in terms of film and video game composition, I feel extremely confident. How much of A Furious 7 did you contribute to as far as musically i can't comment on that nda mm. love it you know what? the wonderful gatekeepers of vast secrets of the unknown <laughs> is there anything that you can discuss legally in in terms of furious 7 um it was nice to be directly credited and like see my name i didn't actually watch the movie i mm. just saw that like my name was in the credits and a bunch of people were taking pictures like there you are and i'm like yep there i am yeah. but i'm already working on the next thing so <laughs> cheers to that let's Go. Was that your favorite movie to work on? One of the most... It hasn't happened yet. Uh, One I'm working on now. Trust uh, me. But again, it's an NDA, and you can't you can't talk about it, right? I, I, no, I, I get it. It's, it's when it comes out, people will understand. Yeah, it's much more. It's much more my vibe than than a sort of blockbuster action machismo sort of film like Furious. Yeah. As much as respect I have for the legacy that it has left behind, I respect it. It's just not my cup of tea sort of thing. But there's a lot of things that I have worked on like Injustice 2. Um, there's a lot of trailers. You did? Um, the trailer work. Okay, um, okay. Promotional stuff. When you're talking about Injustice, you're talking about like the, the, the DC video game, right? You bet. Two Injustice 2 trailers. My stuff has been in everything from America's Next Top Model to Top Gear to man. a lot of stuff, man. Yeah, I did a song for Doki Doki Literature Club because Dan Salvato is a friend of mine. Yeah, no, I told you, like, I'm everywhere. But that's that's kind of also an essence of, like, who I am mm -hmm. is I... One of the great ways that my anxiety manifests, and there is a there is a flip side to it, don't get me wrong, but one of the best ways that my natural occurring anxiety uh, manifests is that I work hard and fast, mm -hmm. and therefore I want to be... In involved in anything because if I can if I can learn it I can master it and that's sort of the mentality I have
I've always had that mentality. Like if you hand me an instrument and show me middle C, leave me alone for an hour, come back, I'll play you some Mario or Zelda tunes and we'll have ourselves a nice little party. But that's just kind of my mentality is not so much a workaholicism because workaholicism tends to imply hours. I like to be efficient. So more about like when I got into K-pop and learning learning how it ticks, the way that I expressed that was I made remixes of K-pop tracks as um, a now defunct moniker Koinu. And then from there, I actually writing K-pop because then I came to understand it and like it. Uh, same thing with pretty much every genre I've done is like, what is this all about? And then you learn it and then you do it. Right now, I don't know if people have noticed, but on Twitter, there's a, um, original uh, video memes and it's because I'm learning video editing. So it's like, if there's any way I can incorporate learning something while also delivering something feel if it, it looks like I'm everywhere and I am by the time I'm just learning constantly I have to that and if nice. it's not music if it's not music then it's medicine then it's biology anthropology chemistry all of that kind of stuff philosophy theology I just like learning man sometimes I can come off really needy Sometimes I can come off as really uh, impatient because I work fast, but maybe others' pace is more but meaningful sort of thing. Everyone has a style. Mine is just give me six hours, I'll give you a track totally, kind of thing. Totally. Whereas most people are like, this took me a month or a week. And I'm like, wow, that's just my ego, my judgment. What is the deepest thought that you've had in the last year? I think a lot and I think very deep. So I have to think deep about thinking deep <laughs> right now. Uh, what immediately comes to mind is, so do you know what a doomsday prepper is? A doomsday prepper? Yeah. Tell me more. My experience is not as extreme as what I'm about to tell you, but doomsday preppers have a premise that the world is going to end and therefore they have to prepare for it in some manner. Whether it's going to be through bioterrorism, whether it's going to be nuclear warfare, or simply a shortage of food, things like uh, hurricanes, which you know devastated even the state that I live in. Yeah. That's what sort of actually started it. Um, in terms of good segues, I my family stayed behind, but I went up to Georgia during Hurricane Irma this last hurricane season, and it destroyed Port, you know, Puerto Rico, and it destroyed a lot of like the southern tips of like you know Key West and all of those islands. A lot of Floridians, especially like. Tampa people because it was it was headed like right for us man like it was going to go up and I was like I think this thing's going to be really serious and everyone was like no I think it'll be just fine so I went out and bought a ton of food and then the next couple days the meteorologists were like we we now know it's going to hit Florida really bad Mm -hmm. and so the next day what do you think happened is all the food disappeared because everyone bought it it's like time to gas up the car time to get my prescriptions in order because I don't know what's going to happen this is all new territory and now the state's freaking out and by the way there's not one gas station in all Florida that has gas now and the hurricane is getting stronger and it's headed right for us Mm -hmm. and so that level of being prepared i felt super confident like the storm is going to hit but i'm ready for anything and so from that mentality kind of came a prepper mentality 
And I, I'm not building any bunkers. I'm not in any sort of conspiratorial, oh, it's the Russians. Oh, it's this is going to happen. It's more like I have bags that if you, if, if anything were to happen and you had to go, you could just grab that bag and you would be safe and secure for about two months. Yeah. So I have two of them. And do you remember the whole Hawaii false alarm nuclear missile thing that went down? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, so um, it turns out that like the vast, vast, vast majority of people did not know what to do. Like when they got that text message, they shot out of bed and they're like, what do I do? I don't like being in positions like that. I like to be prepared. So my response to that is like, I'm going to grab my bag and go. It. I don't have to think about what do I need to bring? What do, what do I need to bring in this emergency? It's like it's already in the bag. I've just been building it for the past year. So is what you're saying is that like that kind of mentality has transcended into your life in very many aspects. You're just like, I just like to be prepared because I hate being blindsided by crap like that. Precisely. Um, so not just with like the go bag situation, but I like to be mentally prepared for pretty much anything in my life. And while people will, you know, look at doomsday preppers and yeah, a lot of them, you know, really go the extra mile in terms of building full out bunkers and stuff like that and dedicating their life to it. For me, it's just more of like feeling like I'm confident enough to be prepared in case of anything. Yeah, exactly. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And the best way that you can satisfy that future self that might be a afraid of, you know, an incoming whatever, or a natural disaster again, the best thing that you can do for your future self in this safe time is to go ahead and get prepared. And so I've applied that to many other assets of my life, like uh, financial assets, medical assets, I'm, I'm good to go. And again, the final point I wanted to make was a lot of people would love to cast out the paranoia card when it comes to prepping because doomsday preppers are always depicted in the media as like, you know, they, they come out of the bunker, like yeah, Fallout, yeah, yeah. you know, the game Fallout. Like they have these grand visions of mass destruction. It's actually brought an immense amount of calm to my life because, again, anything that happens, I'm yeah. good. I'm good as I'm going to be. That is a very unique answer to that question. It made me really want to get my, my 72 hour kit together. I mean, you have a, a two month kit. That's, that's freaking awesome. Well, you mentioned that you have kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do it for them. Do it for them. You're absolutely right. If, if you don't want to dedicate many, many resources uh, in terms of finances into like building a bag, mm -hmm. um, there's pre-made ones on Amazon for like 90 bucks in the last four weeks. It's got military rations, MRE sort of thing. It's got um, tents, pop-up tents, um, flashlight with built-in radio transmitters, USB charging ports. I'm really glad we're having this conversation right now. I like, I like conversations. Yeah, this is really good because it's been in the back of my mind for a really long time. Dude, I mean, the world is always changing yeah. and we, you never know what's going to happen. Again, it's not a, it's not a sense of paranoia i seriously feel very calm i don't have to think about what's important what do i have to grab it's just like just go and there you, there you are once you get your financial assets in order then you get your body in order you get your health in order once everything is in order then there's nothing to really worry about. Again, it's it's more about taking care and putting a lot of effort into your present self as much as the discipline sucks, but your future self will thank you for going to the gym or not eating that second piece of cheesecake. It'll thank you. If you look at the totality of your life, could be related to music, could not be related to music.
If you were to single out one event and that event was hard, brutal, painful, you know, excruciating, whatever the, the term that you want to say is, but it was one of like the central parts of your life that formed you into the person that you are now and that you are so grateful for, what would be that central thing? I would say that there are too many to count. Interesting, really? My life up until now has been very difficult and there's been a lot of trials and there's been a lot of fires to walk through naked and barefoot and vulnerable but I've made it out and I'm here I'm still doing it and still pushing through it. Um, There's a lot of things I look back on that were formidable into making me the man that I am today. Everything from, you know, becoming an uncle at 11, my dad having a major stroke at age 16, my first breakup, kicking some bad drug habits, Mm -hmm. getting out of abusive relationships. They are all just stepping stones to where I am now. And when I look back, they are stepping stones. Although they were not exactly comfortable to step on, they definitely were a path to now. And a lot of those were even like bad decisions that I've made, good decisions that I've made, bad decisions other people made, unfortunate things that just happen. I don't really like to play victim too much. I really like to look more on the side of life just kind of happens and how are you going to navigate it? Because we're all in this together. We're all suffering and we're all just trying to smile more and laugh more and take care of the people we love. So more on that side rather than life happened to me. It's like, I'm not that special. (laughs) Life doesn't happen to me. Certain events might involve me, but that just requires skillful navigation and presence of mind so that you're there and you rationally observe what's going on and you're honest with yourself and you're honest with the people around you. And from there, pretty much anything can be turned into a stepping stone. In essence, literally anything could be turned into a stepping stone if you allow it to, correct? Yes. But at the same time, I understand that there's people where the the trauma has been pushed over the edge and that's when you start to get mental illness. I myself have been fighting anxiety and bouts of depression since I was born. And whether that's circumstantial or biological, who knows? But I'm not going to sit and analyze it. Instead, I'm going to do the things that make it better. And I'm going to make decisions in the present so that my anxious future self won't be as anxious. Yeah. Comes back to that idea. You see what I mean? It's sort of, sort of all interconnected. It's just building a really structured, honest, good life. And and one that leads to like calmness, but also happiness. I mean, I'm not always this put together and calm, you know, sometimes, especially those who are listening or watching and are on my Discord server have seen some stuff Mm. that I've posted and seen some stuff like that are just hilarious and completely whoa okay you've got a lot of energy because i'm 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 very extroverted you know you put me in a crowd of people and i'm ready to thrive and i'm ready to be the center of attention i'm ready to make jokes and i'm ready to talk to girls and stuff like that i think that overall when the fireworks of being an extrovert have all faded and the night is you know over so to say metaphorically what do you sit on and so what i have built is this nice cushy, comfortable thing. 
which then allows me to go enjoy being an extrovert more because I know that whenever I come home to this calm space, it's nice. It's structured, grounded. Go play a show and absolutely throw down on stage and get the crowd amped up and all do all the cool, fun things because you know what? Like at the end of the night, you're going to return to this space. You brought up a concept that I never really thought about because you're right. There are these situations that I absolutely thrive in. And then when I get out of those situations, it's almost it's almost torture because I know that I'm leaving that thriving space. So how does one figure out how to create a continual thriving space? So when they leave that, they can come You got to like yourself a lot. I'm very comfortable being alone. I'm very comfortable in most situations. So it's more along the lines of if you are comfortable with yourself and you know yourself and you have done some good pondering about your flaws and how you can make them better, if you have a good regimen, good routine, even if that's broken by travel, you know, still trying to do things that reflect that, you know, simple things like eating well, going to the gym, exercising, do anything like that, hanging out with friends. Then it's like you can, then then the world sort of reflects to you what you are about and you take that and you say, I like this. And so you just continue to do that and you continue to go through trials and tribulations and you pep talk yourself and there's a voice in you that's like, yeah, this fire that we're going through burns. You know that we've been through a lot of these before, man. Like you, you sort of develop a relationship with like a sort of higher, more wiser version of yourself. That sounds pretty deep, but honestly, I mean, do not get visions of me sitting in meditation when I'm not producing or when I'm not. I'm probably watching Twitch or playing PUBG and mm-hmm. uh, probably just doing normal stuff. Mm-hmm. But in that normal stuff, there is that sense of like, it's all good, man. It's all cool. So, it's fine. Cool. Neat. We're alone. That's neat. Okay. Tomorrow we're doing a thing. Cool. Right. If you keep fighting like those waves of like, this is happening. Now this is happening. Then you're just going to feel like you're, you're constantly like on fire. You're going to feel like you're constantly attacked and anxious and afraid. But if you just learn to roll with the punches in any given situation, then you're good to go, man. It's part of that preparation thing. To loop it back to where we started when we, you know, when we first started talking, we were talking about you, know, you and your relationship with Sam with Trivecta. And he's one of God's gifts to, to humanity. Like he's Oh, I know. I know. He walked into a studio one day because I hired his one of his um, ex-girlfriends to do vocals on a track. And he was high energy and he was good vibes. And then just to, that was like 2013. Mm-hmm. And just to watch him grow, especially recently, I'm like, you have transcended. Yeah anything I could have ever have taught you. He's amazing. Love that guy. And it sounds like, I mean, you guys lived together for a time. It sounds like you guys had such a, such a unique relationship that you can't really have with everybody, so to say. No, no, it will probably, I can probably mimic it to a certain degree, but Sam and I are on such the same wavelength about certain things that when we would have production days, we would like constantly, constantly consult on each other's stuff. And what about this here? What about this kind of sound here so when people say like when are you and trivecta gonna collab it's like pretty much everything from 2014 to 2016 was a collab it's uncredited and all in the name of creation and collaboration what i'm getting at why i'm bringing this up is that like um, i was talking with laura bram about this is that one of the hidden gems about getting into the industry that we are is that we finally you know find a friend that we're just like we're such on the same wavelength and that like you you connect with on something that you're so passionate about 
about. It's like it's it's a hidden gem. You don't you don't really get into music for that, but it's something it's something that you discover and you're like, holy what? Like it's this- a side effect of bringing creative people together, exactly, exactly. where we tend to be more emotional and we tend to read emotions better. Therefore, you're going to probably meet someone who, if they're you know very deeply creative, when you meet them, it's going to be a sort of semi spiritual experience. Whoa, we get along really well, yeah. and like I've only known you for five minutes, and you understand everything about me. I'm not saying it's impossible, but someone who might be like an accountant or a cold blooded lawyer sort of thing, it's a little bit harder to establish that sort of emotional vulnerability. Uh, exactly. that a lot of musicians tend to do like I wrote this song from my heart mm-hmm. it's like very a very vulnerable industry and that's why a lot of people get hurt why a lot of people get you know their mental illness declines because of it and I definitely suffered that last year it's a tough industry but I tell you what you're right about the gem thing I've met some amazing people in this new wave of variant that I've been doing this year and will continue to do I mean it wouldn't be doing as well if it weren't for like so many people on my discord server and people like Sam, just other people that I've met, like my artist that works on a lot of stuff, Dead Pixel, mm-hmm. Kiki, she's always, you know, pe- we always have to like pep talk each other. Like yeah. if there's a little bit of doubt, it's like, no, don't you think like that? So I really appreciate that about artists is that you see in each other the greatness and the potential and you want to lift that up. When the ego starts to come in, that's when I get annoyed. Like I have, I've had a lot of friends that I used to work with or I, I've worked with before that now will not talk to me ever Um, and they don't talk to many people because maybe they've achieved a certain level of this or that and that I don't mess with that's why I like to hang out with mostly up-and-comers is not because I'm an up-and-comer it's because they're usually without ego and they've got the best ideas if I were to hang out with the top of the top they're recycling ideas and they're probably owned by some A&R label Mm -hmm. and they're probably not being authentic as much as they would like to be but if you hang out with up and comers, they're they're just them and they're just doing their thing and they're trying out things. And guess what? Some of the things that they're trying out might blow your mind. And that's happened so many times. So I just could give so many shout outs to so many people, but I've been inspired by people, by more people under, because I, I hate the whole social media grind thing, you know, mm-hmm. people judging you on your numbers, yeah. but it's like, I haven't, I've been inspired in my entire career. I've been inspired by more people under 10,000 followers on SoundCloud Mm -hmm. than over 10,000. Absolutely. Hands down, no debate. And especially when you get to like this, like 2000, 3000 level, you start getting people who are good at their craft, but they're not discovered yet. So they're still trying out things. And then that's why I'm like, hey, I want to be your friend. And it's like, then there's this initial like, Varian wants to be my friend, but you're this guy and you're that guy. And I'm like, well, shut up about all that. You're, you've got some really cool ideas. And I like where your head's at, buddy. So let's let's like uh, either work on something together or let's um, just be friends. And that. now it's just like this community that I'm a part of, of up and coming producers. It's like, I'm not an up and comer, but I like being around them because they're full of energy and ideas. And it's amazing. Versus the the experiences I've had with people who are, who've made it, who are famous, not saying this about any particular person or as a generalization, but the people who I've hung out with who are very famous or have a lot of money, there's something off. There's just a little bit of something off. 
and I can sniff it from like a mile away for some reason. And just, it's just enough for me to be like, maybe I'll just go back to playing PUBG with my guys on my Discord server. I know, I know the exact feeling that you're talking about. It's only something that you can experience and that you can't really describe. There's no way to articulate it. it you would have to be around it enough to be like, oh, you're one of those people. Okay, I see what's going on here. I think most of the time I just chuck it up to them not being authentic or them being self-centered. But I do think there's something deeper than that. It's so you want a hot take real quick? Self-hatred. You think so? Of what they've become. I have no qualms with that. No qualms whatsoever. I don't want to elaborate on that hot take. I mean, people can extrapolate whatever they think about that. But I think that a lot of people who are at the top deal with things that they do not air out. And I know a lot of people at the top who deal with serious mental illness, man. That's what I would say. Kanye West actually talked about it in his new album where he was more talking about openly. And I was like, I feel like everyone's like this. Just that at that one point he is such a narcissist that he feels that he can almost be like a political revolutionary. And at the other end, he hates himself and he wants to self-medicate with prescription medicine. It's the culture of giving so much attention and credence to anyone who makes over a million dollars. It's like, I don't think most people can handle that. We still can only handle so many people before we start, our brain starts to get a little bit silly. I've witnessed in myself a lot of self-destruction and self-hatred, but then they hide it just like someone who cuts themselves would hide scars with long sleeve t-shirts kind of thing. You you wouldn't see it on social media. You wouldn't see it on their Instagram highlight reels, but in the dead of the night of their hotel, day 300 of that tour, I mean, look at Avicii and look at Jong Hyun, who was, is, is in the Korean pop industry. They write about all the same things, just driven to the edge happens. And that's what you gotta be careful of. And that's what I'm being very careful of because a lot of big opportunities are starting to come my way. And I am, you bet I am Hawkeye right now. Yeah, we need varying around and the direct direction that we just went with that conversation was not where I was planning to go, but I'm certainly glad we did. The question that I was going to ask concerning Trivecta, concerning your, your friendship, what do you feel like was an experience between you two that kind of transcended what the normal definition of a friend is? Our jam sessions. Tell me more. Away from the computer, just having a good night out, getting some tacos or some sushi, grabbing the guitar, grabbing, you know, electronic drums and just jamming, just having notes happen. That's the essence of music. And when you have someone who understands that, because Sam, I'm sure when you talked to him, mentioned that, you know, his history with jam bands and his history with his love of guitar. I mean, he's a brilliant guitarist. So you pair that with like, you know, I'd be on keyboard and we would have a friend on bass or keyboard, electronic drum loops playing. There were some really magical moments and I think I still have some voice memos from that time. I would say our jam sessions, when you lock in to the other person, you're like, I think you're gonna go to A minor right now. And you guess right, and it's like, this is some sort of telepathy, that's awesome. Sam is the kind of guy who's also very present and will look you in the eye and will be very honest with you and very, very sincere, very genuine, very positive. So anyone who can look me in the eyes and do that, there's gonna be some sort of connection. Nick, this has been... Wyatt, my dude, I thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. And before we end this episode of Behind the Daw, here's a sneak peek into next week's episode of In the Daw with Jinko. The main drop synth, the meat of the song. Tell me about it. 
right. So who's here? So basically what I like to do is I like to find pre-made sounds already and then I'll go in and I'll edit them and change kind of the envelopes and whatnot, fit it exactly how I want it to be. So for this one, what I wanted was I wanted there to be a kind of a sound that had like a really strong transient and then something that kind of filled the back. So have the attack not so hard so that the transient would hit, but then it would come in and have the other part of the synth. So that's the one with the transient, mm -hmm. and then this one is without it. Play them together, they sound like this. So yeah, I just had some compression, I got a filter on it, flanger, some hyperdimension, a little bit of EQ, dip down right there. But most of it comes from this re reverb. A little bit of reverb, but enough to kind of give it some space. Then I put some spreading on it with this great acoustics plugin. I do a couple parallel processing. So I just have this reverb, the dry wet is just not not fully up there. So it's kind of like, you know, if it was at 50%, then it would be parallel. So, you know, half of it would have the reverb, half not. So I brought it down pretty low. Another thing about this this drop synth that really, really caught me was the the rhythm that it's playing because it's not it's not like a traditional rhythm. How, how did you come up with the rhythm of it? So actually, the original rhythm was this was for this was... Uh... Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind the Daw. We really hope you enjoyed it. Did you enjoy the questions that we asked or would you have liked to hear different ones? If you're listening to this on iTunes or any other podcast-related app, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. And if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, make sure to like, comment, and follow, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Daw.